preach one point from each sermon. It might be a little disjointed, but I could cover a lot of ground that way. But I've decided to go with Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I want to read to you just a quote from a report that was sent by a missionary back in 1930. He was a missionary for the China Inland Mission, and he's out on the field. So what he's writing is not academic. This isn't theology. This is real-life experience. He's reporting on how things are going and uh, uh, what it's all about. And he says it is quite certain that in the spiritual warfare... Nothing is achieved by activities which do not bring us into close touch with the enemy. For where the devil's authority is challenged, where a work is begun that will weaken his hold on the hearts of men and deliver them from the thraldom in which they were born, there the clash can never be long averted. And we find ourselves close locked in a hand-to-hand encounter with the forces of evil. And so he's saying, my experience is that when you go out to preach the gospel and you try to do something for God, you are going to find yourself in a life and death struggle with demonic forces. And that's real world. That's not theology. He He didn't develop that from the Bible. He developed that from living it and understanding what's involved in trying to get men free from the thraldom of sin. And so I want to think about this with you a bit this morning, because in our text, Jesus gives us the answer. He tells us how to win. How many of you want to win? I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have a bunch of losers here. Matthew 17, beginning with verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and I ask you to anoint it and to strengthen the saints by it. Uh, I pray that you will remind them of truths that they have known for years and years and will bring it freshly to their forethought forethought of their minds. Uh, I pray that your spirit have right of way and absolute dominion this morning in all of the seminars. Uh, I pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, Amen. Amen. Now, there is a spiritual reality in life. There are dynamics in the spiritual realm that we need to be aware of. And uh, I want to address one in particular this morning, and that is the nature of demonic strongholds. 
A demonic stronghold is a place where a demon has found a, uh, a way and a means to settle into dominion. And it's an entrenched power. It's a power that is fortified generally. It's been in place for a great length of time and has accumulated uh, power and dominion and authority uh, in this area. We see very clearly in the scriptures a demonic hierarchy. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Barclay comments on this passage of Scripture. He says, The words which Paul uses, powers, authorities, world rulers, are all names of different classes of evil spirits. To him, the whole universe was a battleground. The Christian had not only to contend with the attacks of men, he had to contend with the attacks of spiritual forces which were fighting against God. And so what I want you to get your head around there is he says that the language implies a rank of demonic power. That there are generals and lieutenants and captains and sergeants and privates that the demonic realm is organized uh, in a military fashion. And that's equally true in heaven. There are archangels. There are different levels of spiritual authority and power. We're going to see that as we work through this. And so uh, when you're dealing with demon spirits, you've got to understand uh, that uh, there are different classes. There are different kinds of demon spirits. And uh, some of these demon spirits uh, are uh, very, very powerful at least in part, the reason why the disciples could not cast out the demon that they were up against in this epileptic child was because of the kind of demon it was. That's what Jesus says. He says, this kind. This kind isn't the same as other kinds. And this is why the disciples were so astonished, because they had already been sent out, and they had come back with joy reporting, even the demons respond to us. Well, the problem is, up to that point, all they'd encountered was Pee Wee Herman demons. <laughs> little weak little demons, you know, little faggot demons. And he just, you know, he, they, they were able to run them off real easy. These demons respond real easy. But now they're up against a, a big, bad sumo wrestler demon. This is, this, is, this is a big, entrenched demon who's got power. This is a seven sons of Siva kind of demon. Likes to whoop up on you, strip you, and send you down the road. This is a powerful, entrenched demon. This kind of demon, Paul says, is different than other kinds of demons. And this demon had more power than you were ready to deal with. And you did your best, but your best wasn't good enough against this one. And let me tell you something, I don't care how powerful and significant you might feel in Christ... There are some demons been around for thousands and thousands of years. And uh, you come up and you exercise your dominion. You say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And that demon goes, hey, 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 come in and get me. And there are some demons that are not going to easily respond to your dominion in Christ. They're not just going to bow down because you showed up. And then you may have a 
kingdom theology and you may understand your place in Christ. But Jesus said uh, it, it's not that simple. And there are certain dynamics that you have to come to grips with. And so we see very clearly that this many times has to do with geographic realities. That there are places where demons find strongholds. Places where there's a particularly open door or an open heart or an open environment for demonic dominion in that area. We find this in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. This is the story where Daniel's praying. He's in a desperate situation. He needs to know uh, the mind of God for the interpretation of the dream. He needs uh, God to move and his life is on the line here. He's desperate to get an answer from God. And he begins to pray. And for a week he prays and nothing happens. For two weeks he prays. Nothing happens. For three weeks he prays. Nothing happens. Now you've got to understand he's not praying for a raise on the job. He's not praying for healing of a cold. He's praying for something that has a very limited time frame, a small window of opportunity, and if God doesn't respond, he's a dead man. So this is desperate praying. And what's interesting to me is that there's no response. You would think in a life and death situation, a child of God can have confidence that God's going to move and respond, but no response. No response. No response. At the end of three weeks of praying, we're coming right down to the wire. Finally, an angel shows up. His halo's bent. His wings are singed. He's got blood coming out of his nose. He's weak in the knees. His sword is all bent and chipped. He comes in through the window. He doesn't even fly. The first thing he says to Daniel is, Do not be afraid. (laughs) This is not a confidence-inspiring angel. And so listen to what it says. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. The instant he began to pray, he had God's attention. And I have come because of your words. Your prayers prevailed. I'm here because you prayed. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, you have to come to grips with what he's saying here. This is an angel from God. This is a messenger from the Most High. This is not a UPS delivery man. This is an angel on a mission from the throne. God has commissioned him. I want you to go and I want you to answer Daniel's prayer. I want you to tell him what the the dream is, what the interpretation is. Go, go, go. Take care of business. And these demons over Persia, which by the way are still there, These demons actually have the authority and power to resist a messenger from God. An angelic being 
Angels are not, you know, for a while there, they were, they were real hip. Angels, everybody's into angels. And uh, it, it made its rounds through the church. And uh, I can't remember who it was. Some idiot wrote a book about eating cornflakes with angels. And uh, it's just madness, you know. Christians are the most gullible people on the planet. And so, uh, you know, this all went through. But I want to tell you something about angels. Angels, when they show up, uh, uh, things happen like people's loins are loosed. It means they pee themselves. They fall down. They tremble. They... You don't want to bump into an angel. Because angels are really, really powerful creatures. Amen. But this angel, sent from the throne of God with all of his power, couldn't get through the resistance of a demon. That's a frightening thought. And he says, I fought with these princes, I fought with these demons for 21 days, back and forth, through the galaxies, over the hills, hither and yon, we're fighting, we're throwing blows, and I'm not getting through. And if it hadn't been for Michael, one of the chief princes, remember I said there's a, a hierarchy so we sent down the big guns. Michael steps in, gets involved, says, I'll take care of this little angel. And he gets involved in the fight. And this other angel, man, this is my chance. And he takes off, gets around the fight, and is able to bring the message to Daniel. But look at the enormity of this conflict and the powers that are involved in it. And you and I, we pray, and we pray for two days, uh, and uh, you know our hangnail doesn't get healed, and we give up. Hello? Get a little financial squeeze and we pray and it doesn't happen. And, oh, I, guess, I guess there's no God. I guess this, all this is just nonsense. <laughs> Crying out loud, folks, we're in a war. You know, some of us think about war like the Democrats, you know. Well, if somebody gets hurt, we need to go home. <laughs> war should not be a painful experience. We should all go together in a war and say, okay, boys, you stop now. And they just stop and everything works well, it doesn't work that way in the real world and it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God when you go to prayer when you undertake anything for God you have to factor in right off the top everything I'm doing is about to be resisted and it's going to be resisted by things that are bigger than me things that I don't have power over I am convinced that every major city in the world and even minor cities and even small towns have demonic strongholds. In Las Vegas, it's so obvious, it's ridiculous. Maybe here it's not as obvious, but I, you know, the truth of the matter is, folks, you've got your own strange breed up here. I, I, it never ceases to amaze me the way the hippies just kind of never died here. The whole hippie thing is still rocking. Well, there was a spirit to the hippie thing. The hippie thing was a spiritual movement. It had nothing to do with a bunch of kids. It had to do with the devil getting loose. And it, it's filled with wicked immorality. And it's filled with uh, all kinds of witchcraft and new age religion. And that stuff is entrenched here. That stuff has a stronghold here. The poverty spirit has a stronghold in Oregon. I've never been in a state with so many thrift stores. There's more goodwill here than anywhere in the world. That's probably why there's no goodwill anywhere else. It's because you got it all up here. 
There's a poverty spirit up here, a poverty mentality. There are different spiritual strongholds. My point is this. There are demon spirits that have been in this neck of the woods for a long time. And just because you showed up with your potter's house sign doesn't mean they're leaving. And you say, God, why aren't we seeing the breakthrough? Why aren't we seeing it happen? I was talking with Pastor Campo last, maybe it's two weeks ago now. And, and, you know, I had to talk him off the ledge. Put the gun down. Ease the, ease the lever back down, man. Just put it down. You don't, you don't want to go. You don't want to end it too soon. Because he's, he's been fighting with New England as long as I've known him, almost. New England's got demons that make the rest of our demons just look like lightweights, man. He says, we're supposed to be planting churches. We're shrinking. He says, we, we just, everything we do, we can't seem to get a breakthrough. We can't seem to get a breakthrough. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you got old pilgrim demons there. They came over on the Mayflower, man. <laughs> they still wearing their funny little hats. You're talking about entrenched spirits. 1 Timothy 4.1 says that as the day draws to its conclusion, it's just going to get worse. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He's talking about how effective demon spirits are going to get against the church. That in the last days, this war is only going to intensify and these demon spirits are only going to have more power and they're going to be more effective against Christianity. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It's talking about his strategies. And Satan is a strategist. And when he starts taking a whooping somewhere, he moves his troops. He mobilizes. He says, uh, that church is making a little too much noise. Let's uh, come against them with the fire marshal. Let's come against them with the city fathers. Uh, let's seize their building. Take their property away. Get them diverted. Get them having to fight another battle so they won't be so busy on the front. It's demonic, man. The whole thing is demonic. It's a demonic strategy. Uh, it has at its roots uh, a master strategist who does not sleep, he watches for every opportunity, he's not omniscient, omniscient, there's a good word. <laughs> I'm going to work on that one. I, I like it when I invent words when I'm preaching. I always go back and write them down and say, I, I want to invent this word, coin it somehow. So he's not omniscient, I can't even say it twice in a row. He, he doesn't know everything, he's not all powerful, but he's been around a long time. If you could live 30,000 years, you'd probably be smart by the end of that. <laughs> this guy has some experience, and he's been fighting for a long time. He is a master at guerrilla warfare. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Our posture as a Christian is a posture of resistance. It's a posture of militance. It's a posture of aggression against demonic forces. Amen. And if you are not aggressive, he's going to eat you for lunch. 
If you do not, you, you know, I, I read that st- statistic the other night that 66%, I think it was 66%, I might be getting my numbers wrong, but a large percentage of Christians today don't believe in the real devil. Well, he's already ate them. They're already toast. You have to understand that the only posture that will work as a Christian is a posture of spiritual aggression where you have determined in your heart, I am going to fight the devil. I am going to make it a point of fighting the devil. I am in a war, and I'm going to fight. There are no conscientious objectors in the kingdom of God. There are no really no draft dodgers. You're either going to fight, or you're going to be lunched. Take your choice. And so here we are. We're dealing with a class of demons that exists in every one of your cities. Demons that are not simply going to bow down because you say woof. All right? So what do we do? How do we deal with it? Well, Jesus makes a very clear point here. He says, without batting an eye, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And we all go, oh, fun. Just what I want to do. We'd have been very, very happy if Jesus had stopped at prayer. This kind only responds to prayer. All right, I'm there. But he says this kind only comes out by habitual prayer and fasting. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's not talking about you bump into a demon and you say, wait here, I got to go fast. That'll never work. He's talking about a lifestyle where you are accumulating spiritual authority. You're building up an account with God so that when you do run into this kind of demon, you got the juice for him. This is why Jesus was able to rebuke the devil and he fled. He didn't run off and fast. He'd been fasting for years. He had been praying for years. He had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And that's why when he spoke, demons listened. Not because he was God in the flesh. He had accepted the same human limitations that you and I exist with. But he had cultivated a life with the Father. He had cultivated a position of dominion as a human. Where he could speak to any kind of demon. And they had to obey. He did that only, only by prayer and fasting. It's the only thing that works. It's so obvious in Scripture that you would think we'd all got this a long time ago. But we didn't because we hate to fast. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize how spiritual you were. I know you're different. I know that you love to fast. In fact, you spend days just excited about the next fast. You're, I can't wait to stop eating. <laughs> I know. I can feel your vibe. I'll be honest with you. I don't even know why they call it fasting. It's slowing. It's not fasting. It's slowing. <laughs> Everything grinds to a halt when you fast. And fasting doesn't make me feel more spiritual. 
it makes me feel more carnal. The first day, I'm okay. The second day, I hate you all. I hate everybody in my church. I hate all Christians. I especially hate Pastor Mitchell. I hate everybody. The third day, I love everybody. Because you all look like chicken. Oh, you need counseling? Come into the kitchen. We'll talk. I hate fasting. I hate fasting. And if you're like me, you hate fasting too. But Jesus said, it's the only thing that's going to work. And I've got to admit that to make fasting a lifestyle, you have to be fairly desperate. You have to be motivated to do this. It's like the guy who, uh, he was, uh, how's the story go? There's three ministers who are uh, talking about effective prayer. And while they're talking about it, there's a telephone repairman. He's working on the telephone lines behind the desk listening to all this. And so the first minister, he says, well, the real power in prayer is by steepling your hands. This is where the power is. Right down from heaven. Right into the fingers, through the elbows, into the heart. That's the power of the next minister says, no, no, no. The, the posture of power, powerful prayer is on your knees. You have to do it on your knees. Prayer isn't even effective unless you're on your knees. The third man says, neither one of you understands spirituality at all. It's prone, flat on your face, out on the floor, prostrate before God. That gets God's attention. Finally, the telephone repairman stands up. He says, you know what? I'm not an expert at this. You guys are the pros. He says, but I'll just tell you, the most effective prayer I ever prayed in my life uh, was when I was dangling 40 feet in the air from a telephone pole by a wire around my ankle. He said, that was really powerful prayer. So if you really want power praying, climb a lamppost. But what that's talking about is desperation. God doesn't help him, he's about to die. I want to tell you something. God doesn't help us. We're all lying lunch. You think you got what you need to resist the devil and to win? You're out of your mind. If God doesn't get involved, what we preach, what I preached last night is what Brother Porter preached, what Brother Napier preached, it's what God's trying to tell you is if you don't get God involved, it's over. And Jesus said there are certain demonic powers that you are only going to be able to overcome through prayer and fasting, through desperation. Do you realize? See, what I'm saying right now should jolt you. It should, it should be like a slap in the face. The only way certain people that you know can possibly be saved is if you will fast for them. Because there are demonic strongholds that hold them in bondage. They're never going to change. They're not going to, the light's not going to come on because God just unilaterally says, okay, this is your day. That's, that's not the way it works. I guarantee you, I am only saved today because of a group of people that were praying and fasting for me. My brother in Vermont was saved before I was, and he knew his brother. 
He knew who I was and he knew that I was crazy and I had no intention of even considering Christianity. The night I got saved, I didn't know it, but he had 20 people in his living room praying for me that night. He had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. The people that he was in church with had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. I know this because eventually I ended up in the same church he was in. And we all prayed and fasted all the time. It was just part of the way we we functioned, the way we conducted ourselves. It, was, it actually became a ritual, but that's just something we let happen. You can't let it happen. You can't let it become a ritual. You have to stay desperate. And when you're desperate, fasting takes on a whole new dimension. When you're desperate, prayer uh, takes on a whole new dimension. I'll read a little illustration uh, for you. George Adam Smith tells us, that he was once climbing the Wieshorn above the Zermatt Valley in Switzerland with two guides on a stormy day. They had made the ascent on the sheltered side. Reaching the top and exhilarated by the thought of the view before him, Smith sprang to the top of a peak and was almost blown away by the gale. The guide caught him, pulled him down, saying to him, On your knees, sir. You are only safe here on your knees. That's a wonderful way of saying you are only safe if you are praying and fasting. If you are on your knees before God, otherwise you're going to get blown off the mountain. It's a desperate situation. We can refer to the overused illustration of Moses lifting his staff. And as he lifted his staff, uh, uh, the uh, uh, enemy would prevail or be overcome based on whether he could hold the staff up or not. This is the picture of intercessory prayer. prayer. This is the picture of Aaron and her coming alongside their pastor and praying with him. For the success of kingdom enterprise, it only happens by prayer and fasting. This is the only way this kind comes out. This is the only way you can hope to have victory. What part of the word only don't you understand? There are no other options. You can shout. You can dance. You can swim in the river. You can bark. You can cluck like a chicken. You can do the spiritual cockroach. You can jump about, slash yourselves with knives, and Baal won't answer. This kind only responds. doesn't matter what else you do. Pastor, we outreach. Pastor, we, we uh, have our concert scenes. Pastor, we're faithful to preach the gospel. That's all well and good. It's wonderful. It's fine. You need to do that. But it's not going to shake the demon you're up against. doesn't matter what weapons you pull out of your spiritual arsenal. There's only one that's going to blow them away. Fasting and prayer. Do you understand? Do you understand? Revival's not going to happen until you make a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Some of you are thinking, well, I guess revival's never going to happen then. (laughs) 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 Wrong. Jesus' words call us to a consecration that from this day forward, I'm going to make it a habit. I'm not talking about three days twice a year. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Amen. You're going to have to work this out for yourself. Depends on how much power you want, I guess. 
But you're going to have to find an application for this in your life. I fast every week. Not only does it help my girlish figure, but it gives me power. I believe in it. And I've watched it. I've preached this in my own church and challenged them. And as they began to fast, I began to get reports. This thing broke. That thing broke. This thing, finally, there was finally a deliverance. There was finally a breakthrough. This job happened. One thing after another. Because you've got to enter this arena if you're going to have spiritual dominion. That's all there is to it. The good news is that if we will, we can see tremendous consequence and result. Jesus' words of rebuke are actually very, very encouraging. He says, how long shall I bear with you, you faithless and perverse people? That's not the encouraging part. You know, Jesus wasn't just venting there. He's not like Pastor Lamb. He didn't just go, you pervert! You know, because he was upset. He was very careful with his words. And whenever he spoke, his words had authority. He didn't just vent. He wasn't just being emotional. The reason why he used such strong language is because he always reserved that language for religious people. He never used that language on sinners. He never used that language on people who were defenseless, so to speak. He only used it on people who claimed to have religious authority and power. Because religion is the narcotic of our lives. You know, Marx wasn't all wrong. Religion is the opiate of the people. Religion will make you deaf, dumb, and stupid. The most wicked people on the planet are religious people. Religion will not help you. And what Jesus has to do with religious people is grab them by the lapels and say, Listen to me! You faithless and perverted! I mean, that'll get your attention. Somebody calls you pervert, that'll get your attention. What'd you call me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Why did he do that? Why did he use such strong language? Because quite clearly his disciples had not followed his model, were not given to prayer and fasting, and he was probably just trying to draw their attention to how important the issue was. You've got to get past religious complacency and realize that this is a critical issue in the kingdom. Now that I've got your attention, let me tell you something. Demons in and of themselves really aren't that big of a deal. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard, you can say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea. You've got to remember, he spoke that in the context of dealing with entrenched demon powers. See, we like to take that out of its context. And in fact, when I was a new convert, I did completely take it out of context. I read that and I thought, you know, because you've got to understand, I'm still working on uh, leftover fumes from a lot of acid. And I'm reading this and I go, oh, that's cool. I'm living in Vermont. And I read, if I have just a little faith, I can move a mountain. And I tried it. I went right outside on my back porch, mountains all over Vermont. And I said, you, over there. Nothing happened. (laughs) Today I'm very grateful. I probably would have crushed Rutland. (laughs) 
You don't think about stuff like that when you're a new convert. God in his grace didn't move the mountain. I didn't understand what he was saying. What's the mountain he's talking about? He's talking about a big demon. That's what he's talking about. There's no other application you can make. That's what Jesus is dealing with. He says that mountain, that obstacle, that thing that is in your way, that big Jabba the Hutt demon that you can't move. You can push on it. You can pry it. You can do what you want. That mountain's not going anywhere. But if you just have a little bit of faith, you can move that thing. That thing is movable. That demon spirit is movable. Amen. Reminds me of his statement in Luke eleven twenty. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. I love that verse because it gives a sense of proportion to the whole issue. He can flick away demons with his finger. I cast out demons with the finger of God. It's not like God has to go back into the locker room and get on his wrestling togs and come out and say, all right, Satan, best two out of three. Yeah. It's not like he just goes, Oh, you got a demon problem? Pee. I like that. That's a great image, isn't it? Pee. God just walks into the situation and goes, Oh, that's a big demon you got there. Pee. It's the finger of God. This is, this is no great challenge for God, it's a challenge for us. Because we can't do it. We can't move mountains. But God can if we are connected through prayer and fasting. And as we do, God comes on the scene and He just flicks away the problem. What a glorious encouragement we have here. There is no demon that's too big to move. We can't have revival here. Of course you can. All you need is a good flick. (laughs) Amen. Faith isn't just what you believe. It's what you do. And faith moves you to engage the enemy by the means that God said work. If you don't believe God, you don't do it. If you don't believe that God can break the strongholds in your city, then you won't do what I'm saying. But if you believe that God can move demonic powers. Isn't that great? I love it. If you believe it, you'll do it just for the fun of it. Just for the pure joy of thinking about demons flying through the air. Having been flicked by the finger of God. See, what it comes down to, beloved, is uh, do you really believe that this is the essence of the battle? Do you believe that this is, defines the struggle? It certainly, there was no doubt in Christ's mind about it. He knew what the problem was. You guys are up against something that's too big for you. I challenge everybody in this place to make a regular fast in your life. And I'm not talking about for three months. I'm not asking for a three-month pledge. I'm asking for the rest of your life. That somehow you're going to weave this into your spirituality, that somehow you're going to determine what works for you. If you, you know, I don't think you can fast every day of your life. <laughs> you will shorten your life significantly that way. 
but you can determine what's going to work for you and what day will work. And maybe you want to get with your pastor. Your pastor wants to say, let's do it on a Friday. Let's all do it and meet together at the church. Or you do it individually, or maybe you could break it out. And groups will do it each day of the week. So there's fasting all week long. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have, he didn't give us a blueprint. All he said was, you've got to do this. You can turn this into a religious observation. And that's what happened in the fellowship I was with before uh, I came into this fellowship, was that fasting had become very religious. We, we didn't really even pray. We just skipped meals. <laughs> that's not what you're after. Amen? You know, when you fast, what you need to do is the time that it would take to prepare the meal, to eat the meal, and to clean up after the meal should all be spent in prayer. That's usually a good hour. That time, three, three times through the day, there should be an hour of prayer. You're seeking God because you're not eating. What else are you going to do? Watch TV? I hope not. Let's pray. Let's get a hold of God. Let's use that time as a time of, of prayer and you, you figure out how it will work for you. Maybe some of you, you could do it two, three times a week. I don't know. That's between you and God. I'm not, I'm not going to define this for you. All I'm going to tell you is if you don't do it, your lunch. <laughs> Bye. 